Guitar Villains is brought to you by American Musical Supply. Just visit AmericanMusical.com for your unique coupon code. This is just for listeners of Guitar Villains. Anything you need, whether it's picks, guitar strings, cables, a capo, all those small little accessories, all the way up to the big stuff like a new guitar, an amp, all the gear you could ever want is at American Musical Supply. They also have no interest financing, so you can play now, pay later. Use the link in the description for your coupon code to use on your next gear purchase. Thanks to American Musical Supply for sponsoring Guitar Villains. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the season premiere of Guitar Villains. This is the second season of the Guitar Podcast for guitar players by guitar players. And we're doing things slightly differently based on your feedback and my experience as a podcast host. I had a ton of fun hosting season one of this show, and season two is going to be more of the same and even better, dare I say. You can expect 10 more episodes this season, two episodes a month, every couple weeks or so. Make sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts if you'd like to listen to this podcast or, of course, Right here on YouTube, you can get the video experience. And what better way to kick off the second season of Guitar Villains than with one of my favorite guitar players ever, one of the best to ever do it. He goes by many names. Actually, that's not true. He, he just goes by Steve Vai, as far as I know. He's an amazing guy, a really nice, humble person. It was an honor and a treat to talk with Steve about a variety of different things. We talked about my favorite Steve Vai song, which may surprise you. We talked about his greatest guitar solo. Make sure to check the timestamps. They're linked down in the show notes in the description there if you're interested in bouncing around. But really, I encourage you to listen to every second of this. I find you may be coming back to this episode because there are many nuggets of wisdom. And it's just a fun hang, man. And without further ado, welcome to the second season of Guitar Villains. Welcome to Guitar Villains, the show where we deconstruct and decode the guitar. And Steve, I just want to start off actually by saying thank you for introducing me to a whole new type of pain. Because I I do believe... Hey, what am I here for? (laughs) Yeah, seriously. I I believe pain is gain. And uh, when your song Candle Power came out last June, the suffering I endured to, uh, to throw together my best attempt at your joint shifting technique you employed during that tune um let's just say i've been playing guitar for like 15 years and it felt like i was kind of back to square one which was exciting (laughs) well when i started to play around with that technique i felt like i was at square one too and i'll I'll say that uh, i saw that episode you did and i just think it was fantastic i i really appreciate you first taking the time to understand uh, well, I'm grateful that you understood the technique, and, I, and I'm appreciative that you took the time to learn something, learn it, demonstrate it, and have such a passionate overview for it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I was compelled. Like, I think I said that word in the in the video. I, I had no choice. So 
Uh, thanks for, for throwing that out into the world. And I, I do want to chat a little bit about that just to kind of put a bow on it for anyone mm-hmm. who might not uh, be familiar. Uh, there were a lot of great reactions out of the, yeah. the video, the guitar community in general, especially on that video that we're talking about, the one that I put out that kind of was my reaction to your tune. And yeah. uh, some of my favorite ones, I want to read you a couple of these comments on the video. Uh, maybe if he'd used that technique against Ralph Macchio, he would have won. That was a, that was a great one. Uh, imagine Stevie Ray Vaughan doing this on 13-gauge strings. That, that was horrifying. Uh, and then somebody else said, I used to do this when I started to play bar chords, but it wasn't on purpose. And I could totally relate to that, you know, like trying to stretch. That's great. Great stuff. Great um, stuff. And, you know, there were a lot of people saying, Steve... This this isn't an original technique at all, man. Country players, they've been doing this forever. Welcome to the party. And uh, <laughs> yeah, well they I have, they would be right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I have my thoughts as how uh, your technique joint shifting kind of differs for, uh, yeah. a little bit from great country guitar players. The concept I think is absolutely there, but uh, you left a comment on the video that kind of explained yeah. this in depth. So I'd encourage people to check that out. But maybe you could quickly shed some light on how yeah, your particular I'd, I'd be brain happy came to. through. Um, I love, love, love finding things uh, to play that um, I imagine, you know, like I, I'll imagine something or an idea will come and I can't do it, but I just get so excited. And most of the time it's just a very simple little thing, you know, simple little things. Um, but the, but this, what I call the joint shifting technique was, um, something that I had on the back of my mind for a long time. And I didn't, I don't really listen to country, great country players, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, not, it, uh, I appreciate them and I appreciate great country playing. It's fascinating. I can't do it. You know what I mean? I, I never really, uh, focused on that. I was usually much more into, you know, the rock and roll thing, metally distortion, you know, um, but I had seen a lot of great players do uh, those kinds of things with, you know, you bend a note and then you play. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was taking lessons when I was young, I, I had this teacher, this guy's name was Joe Bell. And he did this one riff where he stretched the note and then he, he did a little riff around it. And I thought, oh, my God, that's so cool. And I did that for years. But it maybe it was, an uh, you know, an impetus for the idea to take it to another level. So I had seen great country players doing these kinds of things, but I, I have to say I I never saw uh, Donahue, Jerry Donahue, right. who was right. the one that uh, I had come to discover was doing something actually similar, you know, uh, to the joint shifting technique. But frankly, I, I mean, as, as as many times as people say, oh, no, this person was doing it in this person. Not, 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 I'm not, I don't need credit for anything, <laughs> but no, they weren't. <laughs> okay, you know, I mean... Uh, I could, I, I looked, you know? Yeah. Um, but but it, none of that really matters, you know? The, the, the idea was compelling to me and it was very far removed in my mind from being used in a country tech, you know, country uh, format, you know? Uh, just the idea of having a solid uh, tailpiece and being able to stretch a note 
and you know stretch various notes in different directions and then reach for other notes and release them and you know, use the use of open strings i could kind of hear in my mind what it might sound like in a in a vi way you know uh, which is just a little a little alien to anything that might be considered conventionally country you know so i just worked on it a lot a lot a lot a lot because i was competing against a lot of uh, obstacles within my own style, you know, mm -hmm. my lack of any real um, c control with picking. You know, I, I could pick with my fingers, but I've spent precious little time on it. I'm not great at it, you know, and uh, just very clean tones and um, no whammy bar, you know, it was kind of like a different approach. And then with the joint shifting technique, uh, I called it that because the, the way that I was able to get it to work was to, it, it was actually by just moving the joint in your finger, by stretching the note using the joint. Sometimes you can use the whole finger. When you stretch notes, you're using the, you know, usually your whole finger. You're not just moving the tip of the joint. You know what I mean? But in order to, when you get into some of those really pickled kind of, uh, sorry, I'm wearing this thing on my hand. I had surgery on my thumb. Oh, wow. <laughs> trigger finger gotcha. <laughs> it's all is well all is well great great <laughs> and um uh so i i uh i was what i was thinking about this technique and uh in some instances there was no way to get certain notes to bend without but without just using the tip of the finger the, the tip joint by by you know, shifting the joint. Oh, I know exactly and, what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you could use the regular uh, conventional type finger bend on some stuff, but some stuff you can't because a conventional finger bend, you have to come down on that string in order to bend it without hitting any other string. So this, this this took a lot of work. That's and that, hence the, the the quirky name joint shifting because that that's what it is. Now the reason I did this, besides entertaining myself, because I just love hearing it when it was done. You know that's like that's like makes makes everyday Christmas. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, it turns out better than I thought. You know totally. Um, but but because I know that there is a a technique in there that if a young player saw what the concept there was, there's so much further you can take it. You know, there's there's miles and miles that you can take that technique. I had to work really hard just to get those two little passages. But there, I mean, I see in my mind's eye ways to take that technique way, way further than what I'm doing. But it's gonna take uh, probably younger fingers and uh, you know what I mean, a millennial. So that's really, you know, one of the things I love to do is to innovate, to inspire. So, you know, once I had done that and uh, uh, I had released it, I was so excited because I, I, I know that when you do something that's interesting to other people and they find an enjoyment in it or inspiration, that makes, makes you feel great, you know? Totally. I love that. Yeah. And... Um, uh, and I saw comments that this was a country technique, and I said, "Oh, yeah, no, I know what people, I know what they're referring to, but no, not, not, not the way I'm doing it." 
And then somebody mentioned Jerry Donahue. I saw that name come up a lot. Now, I knew who he was, but so then I started checking out his his clips and I'm like, oh, my God, this guy, you know, there's there's the country player of doom, you know. And uh, I had heard him many times, but I've never actually watched. And then at one there was one video where I actually saw him doing the the various directions you know, but his context of using it is very, it's, it's a, a little different, but he is a, a, a total master at that stuff. I mean, he brought it to uh, a beautiful level there. And then I saw uh, Guthrie kind of demonstrating a Donahue technique that was very similar to the kind of thing I was doing. But really, you know, the, the, the uh, value in that is the inspiration that it can give somebody to take it much further. Absolutely. Well, I would say the only technique, which is completely unrelated, but you mentioned the fact that you had to sort of limit yourself in order to come up with that or or really bring it to the point that you did, was by taking away your whammy bar. And the the only technique I've heard you do that seems equally as hard as uh, joint shifting, uh, but it's completely different, is gravity during, storm. Well, gravity storm. Maybe you can tell me why you think that. But I was going to say the guitar solo of, of your song "And We Are One," uh, uh, where every yeah. note is essentially existing under the manipulation of your whammy bar, and each pitch is is like right on the precipice. And it's really, I think it's one of your best guitar solos. And it's it's it seems extremely difficult listening to it as a guitar player, knowing that. You really have to be bending just like a micro bend, pushing or pulling on that thing to get those notes. And it's all flowing as one musical piece of of work. Well, Tyler, thank you for pointing that out, because I have to agree for me personally, that's one of my greatest solos. There's more for me. There's more innovation in it uh, in, in regard to what I'm capable of delivering, which, you know, is limited, you know, very limited. But. It has some real. Uh, uh, see, one of the one of the things that happens when you hear an idea, and then you go to play it. Or for me, when I hear an idea and I go to play it, I discover, oh my God, this is so much harder than I thought, than in my mind. Mm-hmm. So I have to work much harder. But that passage that you're referring to in, and we are one, is one of my favorite absolute favorite riffs i've ever played it's one of, i'll say it's an innovation because it is you know and um i never heard it before and i've never done it before doesn't mean it hasn't been done and, and none of that matters the, the the thing is it created the feeling that it created was just priceless for me you know and it involved it, it required that forensic whammy bar playing and and reaching because what i'm doing there is really obtuse if you if you if you actually saw it, I worked really hard on that bit. And but um, that whole that whole section there, that the whole second solo round, yep. where it's got it's all bar, and wh- where I would pull up on a a harmonic and then fret a note and release it, and then go. There's like so much of that in there. It creates something completely alien sounding.
really difficult because you have the, the, the intonation, you know, getting the intonation. And, and the intonation isn't great. That's just what I had to settle with, you know. It's, it's okay, it's pretty good. But then when it goes to that part where it sounds like the ocean, like you're on a wave, and the notes are, are like, because they're all double stops, right? you know. And, and getting them to land on res notes that resolve and then morph into other notes and then land and then morph while you're playing and while you're stretching the bar. Pulling the bar up is hard enough, you know what I mean? And getting notes to work. But that was, I knew that it was going to create something very interesting to hear. And that's, that's, that's been my driving force in playing the guitar my entire life. I try to explain to people that success is when you're exercising your creative potential and you're enjoying it. That That's real success. And a song like that for me is as successful as I could be. The, the worldly success is very nice, too. It can be very nice. But it it's a consequence of the love for playing or writing or whatever whatever your passion is when you uh, when you surrender to it the, the, a lot of times the the success the, the worldly success is is just a consequence of it so um thank you for uh recognizing that rift because it's one of my favorites <laughs> i'm glad <laughs> i have some context i'm going to listen to it a little bit differently from now on um, so we do things a little bit differently on this show, Steve. We're going to play a couple little games. I'm going to try to get to the bottom of what makes you tick as a musician. And hopefully you'll have a great time. And maybe the next time you're coming through Nashville on maybe one of the 250 tour dates that are scheduled over uh, 2022 and 23 that uh, I think I got the sneak preview on. Um, maybe we can sync up and do this again in person. That'd be awesome. I would love that. Thank you. So the show is called Guitar Villains because I think villains are just as cool, if not cooler, than heroes. And I've always found the characters are a little deeper and more memorable. So I want to ask you, out of all the movie or comic book villains that you know about, which one would you identify with the most? And this is like a positive look on these villains. Uh, it could be simple as an appearance or as nuanced as a character trait. <laughs> that you share. Um, uh, I, ha I have an answer. Jim Carrey in the mask. <laughs> yes, he's one of my favorite <laughs> characters. Yeah, yeah, that might be me because he's so animated and so silly and so quirky, and that, that it kind of reminds me of my guitar playing. <laughs> that is great. I'm really glad you said that. That's perfect. I uh, my my thought was. Um, it's pretty easy, right? You, you've you actually already manifested this villain before. It's the demonic incarnation of the devil himself, Jack Butler, from Crossroads, <laughs> one of the all-time great yeah, movies. Yeah, I guess he is quite the villain. Yeah, and um, I, I, I really like that movie. In case anybody hasn't seen it, check it out. It's not the Britney Spears one. It's the good one from 1986. And... Uh, <laughs> I was I was doing a little bit of homework, a little half-ass internet research uh, about what guitar players were being considered for that role, and it was uh, between you, Keith Richards, Frank Zappa, and Stevie Ray Vaughan, and you got you got the the final final call. So I thought that was pretty pretty interesting. I'm sure you knew that, but that's pretty good company to be in. Uh, well, no, I didn't. I knew oh. that. Um, I only knew about the Stevie Ray Vaughan one because he had said it in an interview. 
I see. Yeah. This is this yeah, is according many, many to, years ago, obviously. According to uh, according to my my diligence, um, that's oh, that's, that's who good was there. Due diligence. Yeah. So I have a couple of easy questions for you now, Steve. I call this segment "Burning Questions." <laughs> so these yeah. are uh, these are some rapid fire questions that don't totally matter, but for some reason they must be answered. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. What gauge pick do you use? I don't know. What gauge strings do you use? 9 through 42. What's your number one guitar currently? My new black Pia, Onyx Black. That's the one I keep going for. That one's awesome looking. Uh, What is your favorite amp currently? Right now, the Synergy uh, Vi module. Oh, nice. Finally, what's your favorite guitar pedal currently? My favorite guitar pedal. I don't really use many pedals actually these days, but uh, uh, okay, so I have this thing called a Sobat, and it was custom made for me by this guy in Japan about 35 years ago. And it, uh, it it's sort of like a cross between a phaser and a flanger, but it's done in a way that just uh, it doesn't take the piss out of the uh, notes, you know what I mean? Out of the quality, the depth of the sound. That's all. It's been my favorite for a long, long time. Delightful. Let's move on. We're going to play a game called Name Those Notes. So I'm going to play you a quick sequence of guitar notes from songs that you've recorded over the years. <laughs> I have to tell you, I have a good memory, but it's short. Well, you're you're gonna do well then, and people surprise themselves how it's well they short. do on these. Well, <laughs> I, I, don't, I usually don't do good at the. But go ahead, let's give it a I shot. Th- I think you'll do well. Um, we're gonna see how know how well you know your catalog and recognize your playing, and it'll spur some conversation about the song. So, we're gonna start with something easy. I think you'll get, and then we'll get progressively harder. Here's the first batch of notes. Yeah, well, that would be bad horsey. Yes, it is. That's that an is. easy one. Yeah, this is bad. You got horsey. any kind of a sound effect for that when somebody gets the answer right? I do, but people get disoriented, <laughs> so I put it in post. <laughs> yeah, it goes, they, ding, they ding, might ding. think that they wrote it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They're like, "That's not part of the song," so I stopped doing it. Anyway, yeah. uh, that is live from the Harmony Hut, which I think that's where you are right now, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, so you're not wearing any silver paint for this one, but it's equally awesome. Uh, I think pe- people should <laughs> check it out. I've got a silver out. beard, so. Oh, yeah. Just as good. I think uh, th- that's on your YouTube channel. It's like a live performance that you did. It sounds just like the original, which is really a testament. Um, I want to go down the finger tone rabbit hole for just a minute. Uh, there's this dynamic punch, and stay with me on this because I may be wrong in how I'm articulating but there's this dynamic punch you have to certain notes and chords you hit where it's so deep in the pocket it almost sounds like a reversed airburst precedes the point of impact it it's like some sometimes this blooming from being a tiny bit behind the beat with some kind of rake happening but the concept of strings kind of bouncing a little harder off the fretboard before they form their musical purpose. Do you pay attention to little things like this or am I just 
overthinking. Yeah, no, I do. I, I pay attention to all those little nuances. I love them. Those, those nuances, I, I believe I know what you're talking about, too. Uh, those nuances are part of uh, the most important aspect of a performance, which is your phrasing. You know, the mm. phrasing of, of your, uh, of your uh, melodic sentences is uh, vital in getting your point across and actually having what you play sound like music. So all those little punctuations, they can act as like exclamation marks or question marks or commas or certain words, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I pay attention to all that little stuff. Well, I want to I wanna play you an example for the listeners in case they aren't totally sure. So this is uh, an example of what I'm talking about. The first is going to be that, that thwomp sound that happens on the note that you play here. That pinch harmonic. And then verses. So it's the same phrase, but it sounds totally different. And obviously, you're, you're in, it's intentional. I should, I should point out, this is an intentional thing that musicians and guitar players specifically do. Uh, and I think it's really important for people to think about this when they're wondering, oh, well, how do I get that sound? How does, how does this guitar sound like that? It's not always about the gear. It's sometimes just about the finger tone. Like you would sound like that with any amp setup or guitar setup because it's how your finger is attacking the string. Yeah, things like that um, are an inside job. You know, there, there, there are things that have to come from you as a, uh, as a, a, a personality dynamic or an emotional dynamic. And then they just uh, are translated to the guitar through your, you know, physical body, mm -hmm. you know, but the, the physical body isn't really, I mean, it, it's the thing that's, that's doing it, but it's not uh, the uh, cause. It's more of the effect. You know, the cause is your intention. And your intention in performing is based on where you're focusing it. You know, where, are, are you connected to what you're playing? Are you, con are you, are you part of the notes or are you uh, thinking too much? You know, mm -hmm. what, what scale am I in? Where is this going? Uh, you know, what, what, wonder what's going to happen tonight after the show. Uh, boy, my uh, head hurts. What, you know, whatever it is, all these things, they take you away from... The, the connection so when you when you find your connection with the with the instrument those nuances will just happen organically they just they can't not happen you know that the way that you're explaining these is the way they happen for me you know but they'll happen differently for different people if they can retain re remain connected great let's move on to another batch of notes here we go Yeah, that's uh, Windows to the Soul. There's a lot of that in that song, too. <laughs> I was going to say, Steve, I've listened to a lot of your music. I love your music. And out of all your songs, I feel like this one is the most technically demanding from start to finish. Uh, not necessarily as far as individual passages, but like playing this thing live, uh, it just seems daunting. Would you agree with that or is there something yeah else? Uh, absolutely it, it 
it was one of the hard it's one of the real hard ones because when I when I record a song like that I don't just hit record and play it yeah you know or like and we are one there's like a lot I spend a lot of time imagining hearing things out of my head working on a, a passage working on it work tweaking it a bit until it feels like it's just part of my vocabulary and I don't have to think mm. and then you know you string them together and yeah occasionally I just I'll just go for it but it'll never sound like windows to the soul like if I just soloed one time through like you know oh it's one take by you know no it's it's never going to sound like that it's just not the way I roll you know, uh, some people do. I go little bit by little bit and erase this part, maybe do that part again, hear it, keep that, tweak this and then learn it Yeah. and make it make it second nature, make it sound like music. And then all those little nuances just start coming out beautifully. And Windows to the Soul was, uh, I think, one of the reasons why. And I'm talking, you know, when I'm talking about a song like that, I'm a guitar enthusiast. I, I'm I'm actually speak. I know this sounds pretentious, but I'm I, I'm talking like a fan of Steve Vai, you know, I because I sometimes I hear this. I don't think I'm. Um, I've always found great inspiration in any guitar player that I see. I love watching people play the guitar. It's just, I I love it, even if it's a, a wedding band. You know what I mean? And I always, for virtually my whole life, I always felt I'm probably the worst. You know, I probably, uh, I, I can't do the blues like that. I can't do jazz like that. I can't do, I don't know what, what can I do? Okay, I can do this. I like this. You know, I like this. So I'm going to do this because this seems to be the thing that I can do without trying to do something I can't do. So that's why I, that's why my playing the way it is, like in a song like uh, Windows to the Soul, Windows to the Soul, uh, how that song emerged. And um, when I listen to it, because I'm such a neurotic guitar uh, forensic lover, I mean, a lover of the, the forensics of guitar playing, I'm really moved by that song or, you know, some of the other uh, songs that I do. And that's okay. It's okay to, to really be moved by your own music. But that song in particular, I think it has that quality because one of the things that I've, I've focused very hard on in the past uh, was to be able to play in odd time signatures and make them feel natural. And that song, Windows, is in 11, 11.8 or 11.16, however you look at it. But in order to play over a um, an odd time signature like that and make it feel organic and flow in it, your phrasing and everything has to be in a whole different world than the conventional feeling of four four, you know. So that means that all of your phrases are going to just sound different, just inherently different. There's no way that they're going to sound like anything in a normal. Um, a, a normal 4-4 time signature. So that's one of the things I really love about that solo. And a bunch of my solos uh, uh, have are in odd time signatures, and they create those phrasings that are unique. Absolutely. I'm really glad you pointed that one out, too. Yeah, thank you for sure. 
Let's move on to uh, another group of notes here. You ready? Getting a little, yeah. little bit. I think you're still. I think you're still comfortable. Here we go. Oh wait a minute. Uh, oh, that was that the tender surrender. Yes, it was. Yes. Oh, I thought. I thought <laughs> for a second it was. Uh, I just heard one beat of it, and I thought it was the Reaper. Oh, I I, I yeah. get that. Yeah, it was the. But uh, now, like with with Tender Surrender, it's such a a vast difference between that and um, like Windows to the Soul. I agree. It's the same guy. It's the same guy, but because of the time signature difference, to me, Tender Surrender, as much as I love it. It's just, it doesn't have that depth as far as some of the other things that I like hearing in music. I, because it does, you know, it's just 4-4. Four, four. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say about Windows to the Soul, like both this one and Tender Surrender have their similarities, but they are different. Windows to the Soul actually is maybe one of your most melodic songs and that we mentioned that it's one of the most technical. Normally those two don't go hand in hand like melodic and technical. You think technical, oh, this is impossible to play. But um, I think it's a real feat to be able to still have that that moving, just like you kind of described within We Are One, like that oceanic kind of passageway between yeah. the harmony that you weave with the notes, I think is really um, you know a testament to that odd time signature paired with the phrasing that you developed as you worked on it over and over. Yeah. Um, regarding Tender Surrender... I would say this song and For the Love of God are tied as far as like iconic Steve Vai songs. Um, in, in a nutshell, can you sum up how much music theory uh, you leaned on creating Tender Surrender and how much of it was following your ear? Well, that's a very hard question uh, to answer because they are fused together in a way. Mm. Um, so there was a period of my life where I studied uh, music theory. So I understood what my ear was asking me to do. And then I, I could decipher it. And then I could actually apply particular theoretical concepts to things and then build around them because they're grounded in music theory. Uh, but something like Tender Surrender does there was no content, no real conscious thinking of music theory. Like I didn't say, okay, I'm going to, this is going to be in the key of E minor. And then I'm going to go to the five chord and make that a minor. But let me try now going to a, you know, a flat two major seven, you know what? I, I don't think of any of that. It's there if I need to know it, but my ear says, go here. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's all you need. Yep. Being able to, being able to name it is nice. But it's not a prerequisite. If you want to be a composer, it is. And if you want to understand the vocabulary of music, which is a nice thing, um, then it's good to know music theory. And yes, I think that in many situations, especially if you're playing jazz or something, it can be very, very helpful. It can be a deterrent for some people. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, ultimately... <laughs> There's, what you're hearing creatively in your mind, in your inner ear, that's the good stuff. 
Okay, that's really the good stuff. So, for instance, I could sit and I could think theoretically. And when I say think theoretically, I'm referring to music theory. You know, I can build ideas around conventional music theory. And it's going to come out sound, sounding a particular way. Mm-hmm. But when I put all that aside and I just create, like I do this, I do this almost every night when I go to sleep because it's so much fun. <laughs> I lay in bed and I picture myself playing with, a, the, I would say an orchestra, but that's limiting. You know, it, it's, it's anything goes, anything goes. There's no limitations as to what might come in when I'm listening to this music. So this is a really great exercise. Oops, sorry, one moment. Hello. Come on in, just put it at the door. Thank you. Sorry, FedEx. (laughs) (laughs) FedEx. A lot of that going on these days. I know my FedEx guy personally now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, So um, see see if you can recognize the difference of sitting and thinking theoretically, uh, you know, okay, uh, what a major chord sounds like and what it would sound like as a minor chord or, you know, uh, or looking at um, uh, chord progressions and analyzing them and writing down the analyzation and then, or doing something like taking a phone number and making it chord voicings or something. You know, there's all these very creative kind of uh, uh imaginary things you can do with music theory but there's a difference between that and actually creating a a clean slate in your mind and this is what i love to do and you don't force anything to happen you just allow the impossible in in your in your inner ear so what happens when i do that there's just this music that just emerges and it's just intense and it's beautiful and it's, it can be delicate or it could be intense, but there's no, there's no rules to it and there's no uh, limitations because you, you, you don't have to have limitations in your, in your imagination. So listening to this is unbelievably um, fulfilling. Uh, and then uh, I may take elements that I believe are Trans, uh, transcribable into the physical dimension, like with an orchestra or with a rock band or whatever. And I might make, uh, you know, some some notes or something and address it at another time. But ultimately, when you can stand with your instrument, if you're interested in improvising and really finding uh, your potential as an improviser, uh, the ability to be able to listen inside your, your head and just allow it to come out with that, that is, um, that's going to give you, I believe your most creative, uh, contributions. Now for something like for myself, like tender surrender, mm-hmm. when that was happening, of course there was the understanding of what I was doing on a theoretical level. You know what I mean? Yep. But I didn't, I wasn't thinking about it at all. So maybe that's the answer. <laughs> Makes sense to me. None. I have to I have to say before we move on to the next song, uh, I just want to say thank you for this note that you played in Tender Surrender. <laughs> because You're welcome. Um, uh, when I uh, when I was seventeen, I think I was about seventeen. 
uh, I heard that note, uh, and I was right in the middle of like my thrash metal and shred phase, and mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, 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 I want to hit a note like that, and that's when I started working on my vibrato, and I think that's now, like, that's what I preach to all anyone who follows me. I'm like, the most important skill, I mean, everybody has their opinion, I think the skill and the technique of vibrato is your voice and that was kind of like what spurred me in that direction. No, I think you're correct about that. Your vibrato and your intonation is kind of like the soul of the note. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. One more. uh, We actually have two more, but we can move quickly through these. We got uh, this little batch. We're getting a little difficult here. See if you get this one. Hand on heart. Would you no, like? No, sorry, to... sorry, sorry. No, no, no. Dying day. Dying day. <laughs> Saved dying it day. there at the end. It was like you <laughs> bent a bad note into a good I one. <laughs> Got the right note. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm gonna say something mildly controversial in the guitar nerd circle. Uh, this song, purely from a guitar player's point of view, and I'm speaking for all of them because this is my show. Uh, this is your best song. And I really? know, I know all the all every all the geeks are gonna come at me and be like, What about building the church, dude? What about we well, clearly you've never listened to every single moment you know. I think uh every every part of this song, every note is total satisfaction for me. And, oh, thank you so much. Doc. Yeah, of course. And, and the lens I'm looking through when I say that uh is if I were playing each note. Uh, how close would I be to intergalactic guitar oneness? And for me, the answer is I will have attained it. Like, it just seems like the most fun, you know, the, the, the harmony is pretty simple, but it's, it's just uh, complex enough to, to keep it interesting. It's like maybe the greatest jam ever, you know, um, that, that is very, you know, it's a song, of course, but um, that one has always just been a sleeper for me and i don't know if it it doesn't get as much attention as some of your other great songs but um well you know it's interesting because sometimes you can't you don't know the how people feel about your work until many years later sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like sex and religion when that record came out i was i was beat up i was panned and now it's uh, you know for uh, for a lot of people, it's their favorite buy record mm-hmm. from the past, and it's my best-selling catalog record. You know, I mean, so sometimes it takes time. Um, but uh, thank you about for Dying Day. Uh, you know, I've never performed that song. Oh, is that the right? The only time I, yeah, the only time I ever played it was when I recorded it. But you know what I'm going to do for you on my next tour? I'm going to play that song. Yes. I'm yes. coming, and the reason I one of the reasons I haven't is because it's a it's an odd tuning. Ah, uh, yeah, it starts with a twelve string, and that's a twelve string, right? You might have to listen to it again. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't it, think it so. starts with the on an acoustic. No, that's not that. It sounds like a twelve string simply because it's an odd tuning. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that makes yeah, sense then. Good. Yeah. So, and then you know, so when you do it, when you perform a song that you have an odd tuning for, that means you have to bring two more guitars uh-huh. on tour okay. for one song. And when you've got five songs with odd tunings, you're carrying around way too many guitars. So I always opted not to play that one. 
Yeah. But I, I will. I, I, I will it. now. My well, next tour. I've wanted to. There's a couple of songs I've always wanted to play that I never did. If you, I think Boston Boston Rain Melody might be another one. Oh, another another great one. Um, yeah. Well, that that's uh, that would be amazing. I, I live in Nashville, so I'll be at the Nashville show. And uh, if you want to remember it for that <laughs> for that one, um, I got one more group of notes here. And this one is a little, little... This is actually fun, so I, I, it's good. Okay, great. <laughs> great. I'm glad you like it. Here we go. We got, we got a, an interesting one here. Here we go. Ah, oh, that's Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yes, it is. Where did, you, where did you get that from? Can you identify what it's from before I tell you? From the, from the show that Nuno put together... It's from a Generation X tour. Right. And well, yes, it's from the Austin show. Right. Right. So yeah, that you got it right. It's it's yeah. it's you, Zach Wilde, Nuno Betancourt, Ingve Malmstein, Tosin Abasi <laughs> on yes. one stage playing Bohemian Rhapsody. And it's hilarious because everyone <laughs> Uh, when they're playing, you're all playing the same solo, you know, like there's a little bit of harmony here and there, but you're all basically doing Brian May's solo and you're, all of your heads pop up at that, <laughs> that little, that little <laughs> anticipation. And it's like, like a guitar player thing. Exactly. Everyone's like, it, you can't not do that. Um, at yeah. that exact moment. Um, I can only imagine well, that was, that, that, that was such a, such a thrill to play that that was actually uh, to do that song it came right along with the idea for generation x because in my mind that was one of the first songs that i thought this this has to be done i have to hear five crazy guitar players playing bohemian rhapsody perfectly perfectly and that it took us years because i i had done the arrangement which i, I mean the arrangement was basically uh, every, I got every one of Freddie's vo uh, vocals mm -hmm. uh, and, and dished them out to the guys and gave the lead part, the whole melody part, to Nuno. Because with the ensemble pieces that uh, Generation X does, each guy usually kind of has um, a majority of a hold on a song. Yep. You know, like yep. uh, if we do Highway Star, that's Ingve. You know, because that that's his that's his meat, so to speak. And and Nuno is such a big Queen fan, and and he's a good friend of Brian's. And I just thought this would be perfect for him. But getting that song to sound right was a lot of work because we didn't even do it for the first tour because it just we didn't have enough rehearsal time. And then on the second, not nor did we do it for the second tour. It wasn't until the third tour where we had to actually rehearse it and sound check besides when we were in LA every day for like two weeks before we got it because to get it right we had to I mean picture five guys myself as you mentioned Ingve, mm -hmm. Nuno, Tosin and Zach I mean all these guys have uh, you know particular touches on the guitar and particular ways that they vibrate notes and uh, ways that they use their volumes and their tones and when they make notes stop and start and and all of that had to be completely synchronized so that it sounded perfectly in harmony like Freddie. So even the intro, you know, is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? I mean, that's five part harmony. Every note has to start the same 
every note has to have the same non-vibrato or vibrato. Mm -hmm. The articulation, whether it's picked, whether it's a slide, or whether what pickup that we're on, when the note stops, you'd be surprised how hard it was to get five guys to stop notes at exactly the same time. It, but but the the thing that that was so um, the reason why we were able to do it is because we all knew that the big picture was going to be astonishing. You know, it was just ne something never before that, you know, like that. We all know Bohemian Rhapsody. And when you hear it, when it comes out, because it, we haven't released it yet, really, uh, I think you're going to get a kick out of it because it's really good. It's really tight. Everybody's Everybody's behaving themselves, you know, and everybody's paying deep respect to the song and everybody's throwing their head back right at that right moment. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, that wasn't choreographed. That just happened. <laughs> totally. And, uh, yeah, I, I can only imagine when you guys are able to get back, uh, I guess you'll probably do another world tour here when, when everything's allowed for generation acts. Yeah. We had to cancel twice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be difficult. I don't know when we're going to get out again because everybody's got solo careers and you know, yeah. you've got yeah. Zach's got, uh, he has a solo career. He's got Ozzy who's, you know, they're waiting to go out. Nuno's got a new extreme record. I believe that's going to be coming out. You know, so everybody's constantly, but I got to tell you, I, uh, we all love generation X. It's something different than anything we do with anybody else. And it's nice. And I want to, I want to delineate between, Vi Academy because uh, Generation X and Vi Academy. Some people might confuse them because they feature such awesome guitar players and lineups. But Vi Academy, you have these guests come in along with yourself, and it's a four-day teaching experience where people can come and actually learn directly from you. And uh, obviously, you had to postpone the most recent camp. But what do you most look forward to at an event like that? Oh, I really, really love the Vi Academy camps. Uh, first of all, it's a, it's a great environment. You know, we, we do these things. Danny Heaps, who runs the company that kind of pulls it all together and produces it, uh, he, he just works in the best places. So the, the, the locations of the camps are just fantastic. And we have one booked now. It's January 2nd, 2022. So it's a year, you know, 11 months. And it and dig this, it's on the Queen Mary. Ooh. Like <laughs> in Los Angeles here. Yeah, California. And that is going to just be so great. And so that's one of the things I like um, is the environment that we do these things in. Uh, the emotional environment is amazing. I mean, you've got anywhere between 150 and 200 uh, people that they, they love the instrument, you know. They are so and you know what it's like to be a guitar lover in in, in this environment it's like um it's like being a part of a, that club you know mm -hmm. and everybody is so sharing and uh you learn there's so many classes we've got incredible uh, clinicians that come in and teach all these little classes and we have usually have um well we've always had some real celebs that have come in um and i have a couple of uh, invitations out this year for, for this camp coming up to some friends that are, you know, fantastic players and, and 
quite popular, but I can't mention yet, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the, the environment, the, the camaraderie that I see people have, their uh, fondness for the instrument, and I love giving classes. You know, I have a tendency sometimes to wax on and on about, you know, metaphysics and, and uh, esoteric things, and I love that. Uh, much to the chagrin of some people, I believe, but hey, it's my camp. <laughs> True that. Well, I want to. <laughs> the I, thing I love the most um, is I get to jam with every camper. That's one of the things. Uh -huh. Anybody, everybody that's there, if they like, they have an opportunity to come up and just jam. And it's it's one of the funnest things. It, it, that was the impetus for me to create the Big Mama Jama Jamathon that I did a few years back, which was another one of my absolute favorite musical experiences. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, that was amazing. You guys raised, like, over $100,000, right? Yeah, for the jam the Jamathon, it was over $100,000. Yeah, that was beautiful. I, I wanted to uh, to actually expand a little bit on your, your waxing of esoteric uh, musings, because I, I know we, we've talked about uh, guitar a lot, and I appreciate the insight you've shared with me so far but i i i know you have advice for my audience that goes a tiny bit deeper than just the surface level and i want to say when i started trying to uh make things happen using social media back in late 2015 early 2016 it was tough kind of starting over as a musician and not knowing if things were going to work out or what i should do next if i was wasting my time uh, there wasn't really a blueprint for this landscape that a lot of musicians have now been forced to become familiar with over the last year. Uh, it, it just felt kind of impossible to escape being down in the dumps a lot of the time. And then I found this interview totally randomly uh, with you, and I don't know where I heard it or when, uh, but I feel like it stuck with me a lot and helped me in my career. And you said something like, your negative thoughts need food and the food is your belief in them. And that just kind of like, I, I think I said that correctly. It's kind of like blew my mind because I realized I was basically enabling negativity that otherwise wouldn't exist for the most part. I was like inventing issues for myself that I feel like a lot of people may tend to do without even noticing it. Um, so thanks for saying that wherever that in the ether that interview is. I don't know where, but it's always stuck with well, me. Well, I'm glad that it had an effect on you because it's it's really um, it can be broken down to being the core problem with everything in the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's no no doubt, no exception. Because any action that you take in your life is based on, it starts with a thought. And the quality of the thought is joined at the hip with the quality of the action. This is just practicality 101, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But what we don't realize is the thoughts that we're entertaining in our mind uh, are, um, uh, they're pseudo thoughts. We believe that they're true, but they're conditioned. You know, they're conditioned beliefs. Especially anything, any kind of belief that you that a person might have or thought that they may have that gives you any feeling of that being bummed out or is feels frustrating to you, feels um, anger, angry, anger thoughts, thoughts of fear, 
they're all they all boil down to they they have their core belief in fear you know so we don't we don't realize we're doing this you know we don't realize that the little voice in the head is built on conditioned thinking that we've inherited that we that we picked up along the way and we believe it to be true sorry we we believe these thoughts in our head to be true Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is very obvious to see when you look at um, caustic issues like politics. I mean, if you look into the political world these days, it's very polarized. And everybody believes that um, what the way they think things should be is the correct way. And that everything could be great if it wasn't for the other so this is this is a, a lie. It's um, and it's it's holding you back from your freedom. That freedom, true freedom, is the relinquishing of these kinds of thoughts. It's it's the relinquishing of negative thoughts, and the mind will make every kind of justification to tell you that I'm wrong in what I'm saying. <laughs> that you need to. That you, you could justify anger, you could justify hate, you can justify these things. When, when you do that, you're wrong. Um, I mean, I say you're wrong, but that what I should say, let me put it to you this way. There's a better way mm. to, to treat yourself. Because negative thoughts that you have are actually only ever an attack on yourself. For instance... What you said when we just started talking here, I was down on myself. I was feeling bad. That you, that, that's, a, that's, not even, that's not even your thoughts, by the way. That's just in the collective of humanity. You're just picking up on them, you know? So the way you feel is based on the thoughts that you're thinking in your head. That, there's no, no debating that. Uh, uh, if you're feeling bummed out, it's because you're thinking thoughts that are making you bummed out. If you're, if you're, if you're horny, it's because you're thinking of, you know, sex, sexual thoughts, you know, or if you're happy, it's because you're, you know, whatever it is. Uh, if you're not thinking any thoughts, your natural state of being is actually one of very well-being. It's, it's, it's very, uh, who you really are at your core is well-being is actually as they say it's love now the the obstacles to understanding that that the the the, the well-being that's already there are the thoughts in your mind you know so you think a thought and it creates an emotional reaction in you and when you were feeling bummed it could have been any. It could have been a, a variety of thoughts that you were unaware of. I'm not good enough. Uh, how am I going to make it in this world? How can I even say that I'm a guitar player when I can't play like that person? What do they think of me? You know, or I I I I, I, I want to do this, but I'm just I'm just not going to fit in. I'm not going to be accepted. So all of these thoughts are an absolute uh, contradiction to your authentic personality because you do have an everybody has an authentic unique personality that offers uniquely creative gifts to the world right but again those are obscured 
based on conditioned thinking that you have to be a particular way. So if you're feeling bummed out or angry in any way, you're attacking yourself by the thoughts that you're think, choosing to think. When you, when you are criticizing somebody else harshly, you're attacking yourself. <laughs> and you're only talking about yourself, actually. So the, the ability to see that you're doing this uh, requires, first, the desire to see it. And, and, and that desire just, it, it, it comes along when a person is ready. The desire for peace within themselves, the desire for real prosperity, for real abundance, for real co-creativity, for real joy, for real expansion, the desire for that has no buts in it. It doesn't say, I want to play, my, let's um, we'll talk guitar, I, I want to play my instrument the way I want to play it because I, I know that, you know, I have these ideas and I really, I can't wait to do that. That's what I enjoy doing. And I love doing that. I love doing that. But, okay, you know, your, you, your authentic personality doesn't have any of that butt shit in it. Butt shit. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, no. so... Uh, it's true. You know, whenever you say, I want to wear those clothes, but I better not because mm. you're, you're attacking your own authentic personality. When you criticize anybody else for them being their authentic selves, you're, you're attacking yourself. So this, this I mean, I, I, can, I just grabbed this particular road of discussion but i can go down any wormhole if you like oh but no it's it's does like that make a, does it make sense to you what i'm saying of course and uh i i agree with it all and i think the the way you put it that's actionable for those of you guys who are interested in learning more would be to check out steve's youtube channel where it's called under it all you kind of get into a lot of things that are along yeah, those lines and much much more but um succinctly put the desire to make that uh, that a reality, everything you just put into words, the desire, I think, is the most important part, that desire you to change. You have to know that you're worthy of exercising your own creative uniqueness. How could you not be? Totally. The, any belief that you're not, that you can't, is a lie it, it, that your ego, your mind is telling you. It doesn't seem that way. Self-deprecation, that's, e that's ego. Mm-hmm. That says, I'm not good enough, because if I say that I'm good and I'm not the best, then uh, if I can't be the best, then I have to be the worst. The ego doesn't care if you're the best or the worst, it, as long as you're the most of something. Right. Okay? You know, so, so this is all elusive tricks that the mind plays on people that they don't realize, and it gets you into pickles all the time. And it deprives you... It deprives you of your true, authentic, creative expression. And when you deprive you of that, you deprive me of that. You deprive everybody of that. And guess what? That's what you're here for. <laughs> you're here to be your unique self. I don't have to, I don't, I, I don't feel that I have to defend that statement one bit. You know, that just feels so no, it's, it's a, it just feels like a knowing to me. You're here to, 
express your unique, beautiful, authentic, creative self with others. Because that's how we expand. That's how we evolve. That's what's been actually happening when you don't get in the way of yourself <laughs> with your own ego, you know? It's valuable advice. And I, I thank you for, for sharing that with us. We, we'll, we'll pick up on that on the next time you're on the show because uh, okay. I feel like there's a lot left. Um, I want to hit a couple uh, upcoming projects as we wind down here that you're working on. Um, first of all, this isn't really a project, but your new guitar, the Pia, is out there in the world. Yeah. It's its second iteration is out in the new colors. Yeah. Um, why don't you grab that Onyx one if you have it? Or I don't know what you have with you. I do. Yeah. It's funny, I just... I just had shoulder surgery also. I, oh, geez. I, I, I could only play with one hand, and now I can't play at all. Are you <laughs> but, doing a uh, lot of writing then, like composing? or? Well, I actually wrote a song with one hand. I, I'm probably going to release it pretty soon. I'm gonna, I've got to mix it just for fun, you know. Cool. But uh, this is the guitar. Nice. I'll be, able, I'll be p playing again in a couple of weeks, and nice. I'll get the mojo back. But, yeah, I'm so happy with this. It's fantastic. That is so Good. cool with the black one and gold. One of the new Pia's in the black one. Yeah, it came out great. I, I want to, um, a, a little side story I want to share with you. Uh, when you were at, I think it was the 2018 NAMM show, you were coming mm -hmm. down the, uh, like the little stairway to heaven, that little thing on the side of the Ibanez booth. You know what I'm talking about? They yeah. have like the upstairs little uh, castle there. But you were coming down those steps and, uh, you know, your entourage was keeping the throngs of guitar players who were frothing at the mouth uh, trying to take a picture at you. They were just keeping them all away. And somehow, I was just standing, an innocent bystander. I was like, what's going on? And uh, I was with my wife, Bethany, and we were just hanging out there. And all of a sudden, she got enveloped into that uh, entourage of yours and was actually walking right next to you while wow, it, she got caught in a riptide. <laughs> she seriously <laughs> she got riptide right right next to you. And she has a, a cell phone video of her just walking. And she doesn't, you know, she she knows a lot more who you are now, but um at the time she was just like, I don't know what's going on. All these guys don't seem to they want everyone else away, but they don't seem too concerned with me. And she's just walking right beside you for like a block of the Nam floor, and uh, oh, that, and then she found her way out. But <laughs> I, I always thought that I was like, you know, you're just like walking next to next to Steve Vai. That was pretty uh, pretty interesting um, experience. Well, Nam is, uh, you know, they, this year they've done some virtual Nams, yeah, you know, and which is kind of nice. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of I, I enjoy going to Nam. Um, or I used to, you know, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. used to enjoy going. It's that's really. Uh, a little difficult now but uh, it's a great great hang yeah totally so uh, also you have going on an acoustic guitar slash vocal album is that right well yeah yeah i started fooling around with that i um had done uh during lockdown i started doing those live streams and mm -hmm. on one of them i played acoustic guitar and sang a song called the moon and i and i enjoyed it and the feedback from it was very nice. And I always wanted to do something really stripped down like that. Cause I don't sing much on my records. Um, I, I, I have an okay voice for, it's very limited, but in the right setting and the right notes, it, 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 you know, it gets by, 
but the the thing that I love about this group of songs that I have for this record is the, the musical DNA that's in them. It's if you like the melodic structure of things like All About Eve or Dying Day or some of the more um, melodic changes kinds of songs, uh, that th this is that would be this record. Right. And I've got all the songs. They're almost finished recording. Uh, it's a lot harder to play the acoustic guitar than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, There's nothing virtuosic in it, but that's how I, I screwed up my hand. Uh, uh -huh. I was doing this one thing, and, I, and I, I had to put my thumb in this really weird position, and I had to, um, to kind of like hold this chord really uh, for a long time. I was meditating on it, and, and I, knew it wasn't, I knew it was a hard position, and I just kept sitting there playing it and playing it and playing it, and 20 minutes later, I, I, I kind of come out of it, and I'm and I, oh. <laughs> So I, I, I kind of sprained this, and then all of a sudden um, I developed this trigger finger, which is this kind of weird thing that happens on the inside of the... <laughs> I Jeez. can actually show... No, I'm, my wife said, don't show anybody. Because <laughs> they did the operation, and they cut in there, and the guy's fooling around with everything in there, and it's, it's really bizarre, but uh, it's all fine. It's, Great. It's, it's something Great. very simple that, that they can fix, but um, I can't... Um, I won't be able to play for a while. Was it like an F sharp major added ninth? Is that what the it kind of looked like one of those? No, it was more like a demolished chord. Oh, demolished. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, yeah. Cool, man. Well, also. But so so uh, what I was saying was, though, um, <laughs> I was, you know, playing acoustic guitar. It's a whole different. And there's nothing virtuosic, but it's a whole different thing. And, mm. you know, getting it to sound the way I wanted to and the set, I'm using seven string acoustic and 12 mm. string. And um, I've got some beautiful instruments that, that have been made for me now. Paul Reed Smith just sent me a, an acoustic guitar that I can't even believe. It's so beautiful. And I've got a tailor to die for. <clears throat> and my, you know, I have a couple of Ibanez uh, that are great. So I'm, kind of uh, still still at that and once i finish that i'm uh i'm gonna probably mix the generation axe record mm -hmm. from the last tour and then uh i got to get to work on making an instrumental solo record and you do have a tour date booked for september 24th 2021 in rio de janeiro yeah with, with living color yeah and that's I will be joining uh, me personally, not my band. Right, just you. I will. I'll be joining Living Color, and performing Rock and Rio in September. I'm, lo I'm looking really forward to that. I've kind of played with them, bef you know, on the Hendrix tour. They were they were part of the band that, uh, you know, I was playing with, and that was fantastic. And Vernon is a dear friend, mm -hmm. and 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 phenomenal musician. So I think it's going to be really good fun. They're all great guys and great musicians. Indeed. So, uh, I want to loop in your guitar supervillain alter ego. So I have one final question for you, Steve. You're talking about Jack Butler, Jack Butler <laughs> or the mask. You can interpret it however okay. you want. Uh, I basically, the question is this, what do you believe about guitar that most guitar players would think is crazy? And this could be a hard truth that guitar players need to hear or something you know that others don't or a misconception about the instrument or whatever you want. What do you believe about the guitar or guitar playing that others may not? 
Well, I don't know if it's something. I, I believe that it's it's something that everybody believes on a deeper level, and that's that the guitar is an infinite instrument of creativity. It it is infinite, and if you're playing it, and if you ever feel like you've hit a a, a, a rut or you're out of ideas, just remember that. To feel that you have run out of ideas is like saying the universe is limited. You know, that the, 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 there's a limit on infinity, you know. Uh, so uh, that's one of the things that I would say about the guitar. It's, a, it's an instrument of infinite creative expression. Agree 100% on that. Uh, so, Steve, as we wind down here, I'd like to thank you for taking your valuable time to be on Guitar Villains today. It's been a great honor to talk to you. I've admired your work for literally decades. So uh, Thank you so much, it's, Tyler. It's you guys, great. I got I to gotta tell you, man, it's guys like you that just are so vital to the guitar community. You've done such great stuff. And I've read through, you know, comments from your followers, and they adore you, rightfully so. They're a tough group, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they can tough, be tough. Tough, honest, they and fair, right? <laughs> tough, honest. You know, they, they want the goods, and I don't blame them. I'm, I'm part of that. So uh, you're doing such good work, man. Keep keep it up, brother. I will. Thank you, Steve. If you, you need me for anything, anytime, I'm, I'm here for you. I'll take you up on that, man. Please do. Please do.